0: It's great for us to have been able to spend this time looking particularly at. um, I guess somebody described it to me just a few weeks ago. They described it as what they feel almost the forgotten doctrine of Jesus. The idea that Jesus ascended uh, is far more packed with really critical thought for us to consider and to work through. We've been able to spend the past seven weeks thinking about various aspects of that. Uh, And this um, week eight, we're going to be considering uh, this issue. Uh, We've looked at the idea of Jesus ascended in three ways. We've seen Him ascended as the ascended prophet. We've seen Him ascended as the ascended king. And we see Him now last week and this week. As the ascended man. What we see revealed to us in the New Testament is this incredible idea that the risen Jesus, who came in human form, remained in human form and carried humanity into heaven. He is the living man in heaven, ascended and on the throne. We want to look at the idea of the Ascension in this way this afternoon. The title I have given it is, The Living Man in a Decaying World. The Living Man in a Decaying World. I guess when I think about the idea of a decaying world, when we think about that idea, there are two separate thoughts that (coughs) come to mind. The first, I guess, is... Um, That whole sort of ecology issue, the idea of the world um, gradually running out of resources, the idea that we're facing various issues, um, we're running out of fuel, we're faced with the issues of global warming, all of these different things are very much hot-button issues on the human agenda today, aren't they? They're the things that we're really thinking about in a big way. That's one side of it. There is another side when we think about the decaying world. And it's a, I, I think that this is a real, again, a hot-button issue for people when they think about the idea of the message of the Bible. The idea that what we actually see is a world that in all sorts of ways is decaying around us as we as individual human beings also experience decay in this world so one is if you like the big scale stuff the other is really up close and personal the fact that you and I are facing the decay of our very being within the world that we live in and that is a big challenge for many people when it comes to the message of the bible works something like this you talk about the idea, in fact we opened our service reflecting on the idea that we worship a God who loves. A God whose very being is love, that's what the Bible says. It says He is love and therefore He loves. Love isn't an action that God displays, it's His being, it's part of His, his very Character is his is whole person is love, and therefore, love is a natural expression. How can a God who is that also allow this kind of suffering to take place in this world today? How can God allow that for many people? That is a huge barrier, it might be a barrier for you. It might, it's, an, it's certainly, let me start by saying, it's not an easy issue. It's not something that we can just say uh, one plus two plus three in our doctrine of the Bible all makes it okay, because it just doesn't, does it? It might give us hope, but it doesn't mean that our human experience as individuals doesn't still resonate with the impact of our decay, doesn't resonate with the impact of the decay that we see around us, decay of justice. Decay of what is decent humanity one to the other, you say, how can God allow that? This might be a little bit simplistic, but there was uh, I saw a little um, kind of cartoony thing somebody sat down with the idea of being sat down with Jesus asking him that very question how how can How can you allow this kind of thing to go on? To which the reply is this. It's a little bit trite, but it sparks some thoughts. The response from Jesus is this. It's funny you raise that issue. I was going to ask you exactly the same thing. (laughs) That takes some thinking about. But let me just suggest some numbers to you. Firstly, we see right at this moment in time a, a humanitarian response in the Philippines which is being blocked in certain places by inhuman practice. For a start, we see that. And I know that we've got friends here who know what it is to experience something of that. Who see injustice so, there has been a natural tragedy, and yet reflected in that is human injustice, writ large against that experience. In the 20th century, up to now, up to the present day, it is estimated that there have been 70 million people have died of famine in that 110 years, 113 years. 70 million people have died died of famine. So that's a, that's a tragedy. God, how can you allow that to happen? Now listen to the numbers. Almost a half of those, over 30 million, perished during what was described as China's great leap forward of 1958 to 1962. Almost half perished due to political decision-making during those four years of those who died of famine. Isn't that catastrophic in human terms? Another quarter died during Stalin's forced collectivization of the Soviet Union during the 1920s into the 30s. Three quarters of those who died of famine has been the result of political activity and decision making. And we immediately respond with God, how can you allow this to happen? And the response back is, I was going to ask you exactly the same thing. (laughs) There's been political crises since the 1960s right across Africa. Africa. Which we continually see. Political crises which have not responded to genuine natural tragedy. Political crises which have escalated the numbers that have died of famine. That's the world that we live in, folks. That's where we are. I've only just picked on that one particular issue to emphasize the fact that we live in a world which is decaying. Now, here's the thing. Does the ascension of Jesus have anything to say to that? Is it that practical? Is it that real? Is it that engaged with where we are? I would suggest there's a few things that we can see from this particular passage. First thing that we can say is our human response And everything that we've already looked at this afternoon in the things, the comments that we've made about the issues that we've seen, we could say this. It is not as it should be, is it? We just instinctively in our human experience know that it is not as it should be. The way it's working out is not how humanity should experience our being. It's not how it should be. However, What we see in our reading is this. It's not as it will be. It's not as it one day will be. That's the first point that we want to make. It's not as it should be. No, I know. (laughs) But it's not as it one day will be. Look at what we see. Verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So when Paul talks in this way, he's talking about a process of time. He's saying there's a now and there is something to come in the future and it's the glory. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Here's what he's saying. There is a a true experience now that we experience suffering. We're not going to minimize that. I'm not going to say that that isn't the case, but let's put it in perspective of what is what he's calling us to do. In that great, great sort of grand sense, there is the reality of creation which is groaning. And it is groaning, awaiting the real thing that's going to happen. The real thing is when the sons and daughters of God are revealed and come back to that in a minute. Now look at what verse 20 says for the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. <laughs> this is so incredibly countercultural. It says this God is willing to allow creation to struggle, to groan, to have a problem, to have the issues that we see around the world today in natural terms. God is allowing His creation to experience that kind of challenge, that kind of tragedy... Because it is awaiting something better. Why would God allow that to happen? Why would God do that? I want to suggest the reason that God would do this is because He is so desperate. Not desperate, that's a bad word to use. He is so committed. He is so committed to you and me responding to His voice That He is willing to use the biggest stage, which is the whole of creation, to allow the crisis of our human experience to be writ large. To be shouted out. So that you and I might actually, perhaps, hear His voice. That's what God is willing to do. He's willing to use that which he said right at the beginning, I'm going to create this. And do you know, at every stage, God says it's good. It's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. All of the stages of creation, God says it's good. He treasures his creation. Have you ever created anything? Have you, have you, are you a creative person? Are you the kind of person who perhaps is incredibly artistic? Or are you the kind of person who is cre- incredibly practical and you've created something, whether it's a piece of art or whether it's a great piece of work on the car? Whatever it is, have you ever created something? Maybe a piece of writing. And somebody has come along and has broken it. A- and that, that causes a, an emotional response for us, doesn't it? We we respond negatively to something that we value being broken. What God is willing to do is He is willing to take that which is precious to Him and He is willing to break it so that we will listen. So that we will listen. So here's the thing. Is global warming... A shocking accident outside of God's plan. Or does this suggest to us, in the greater scheme of things, God is willing for His creation to struggle and to groan and to find crisis so that you and I will stop and say, what's going on? Is there something more? Now what Paul goes on to do is he connects the big problem of creation with your and my problem. The you and me. Look at verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only this, but we ourselves. We ourselves are groaning. And and you younger guys, you might kind of think, yeah, I've I've heard all of this, yeah. Well, guess what? It catches up real, really quick and uh, suddenly you will find, those of you who play football or rugby or whatever it is, you will find that that knock that you took last week, that is gone now, it's okay, it's healed up, you can play already. When you get in a few years' time, you'll take the knock and uh, it'll hang around a bit longer. And you'll find that actually that bruising takes maybe a week and a half to go. And you are limping around for uh, two weeks and you can't play the following week. And that's just a little picture of the reality of yours and my experience. As time goes on, we groan some more, don't we? As time goes on, we groan a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. To the point where we actually make the decision, you know what, I'm not going to play football anymore. Because I just can't recover quickly enough. I can manage a match a year, and that's it. But it's way more serious than that, isn't it? Because actually, the reality of our human experience is there's times when it doesn't get better. Where the groaning gets deeper and deeper, and it is not resolved. Do you see the connection that God is making to us in this passage. Look at the world around you. It is creaking. It is groaning. And it is not just creation, Paul says, but it is us as well. It's us as well. Paul was writing at a time when the human Roman world was experiencing famines in various parts. There was tragedies going on. There was Vesuvius had erupted. Various things had gone on in the empire. Great tragedies where he's reflecting and he's saying, look around, look at the reality. It's a big picture of you and me in our personal experience. That's the way it is. But look at what he says. But, verse 20, all of this is happening to the world, but it's in hope it's great news it is in hope in other words god is willing to say i will take and over a gradual process smash my creation i will smash my precious thing and i will allow that to be broken because i can see the long game i can see where it's headed I know that my broken creation is not something that is irresolvable to me. I can resolve that. I can fix that. There is hope. I will fix it. There is hope. Look at verse 24 and 25. For in this hope, we were saved. (laughs) What hope? what is the hope that we're saved in as 23 says it not only us not not only so but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship the redemption of our bodies there's the connection there's the connection That Paul is making to the ascension of Jesus. Why is it the ascension of Jesus? Because the resurrected body of Jesus. The body that he inhabits after death. After his resurrection. Is precisely the resurrected body that is ascended to heaven. And dwells in heaven now. In other words, as he says, as we've looked at previously, the ascended, the resurrected body does not decay again. It doesn't die again. It lives forever. And what Paul is saying in this is God is willing to take His creation, He's willing to break it in front of us, so that we might observe, so that we might think, and we might say, actually, do you know what? That whole creation is just like me. It's just like me. I, I'm kind of looked good for a while, and now I'm in decline, and now I'm groaning, and, and eventually I'm, I'm, my decay is going to take over the good bits. My decay is going to be complete. However, that works out, whether it is the result of an immediate tragedy, or whether it is the result of that long ongoing decline of the reality of my human existence, the issue is this, if I believe and if I trust in Jesus, my resurrection and re-establishment of a body for me and a body for you, if you trust in Jesus, is precisely the direction that God is taking you and me. And he has displayed it in Jesus. In the fact that his body has not decayed. Not one single jot. For the past 2,000 years. And if it's another 2,000 years before Jesus returns again. It will not decay one single jot over 4,000 years. Because his resurrected body is an eternal resurrected body. And that's where we are headed. That's hope. Do you see the way he describes hope? It's not a kind of hope which is a. I hope so. It's a kind of hope which has got this solidity underneath it. I, I'm kind of sure of this. I, I just know that this is true. There is a solidity to my hope. We use hope. In so many ways, which can rob it, rob the meaning of the Bible here. Because we use hope in a hope so kind of way. That's not the way the Bible is using the word hope. It's using it in a way which describes precisely what we see in verse 25. But if we hope for what we have not, what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In other words, there is a patience, there is a comfort, there is an underlying stability in our being. I I can wait. It says this, in the face of my failing humanity, in the face of the ongoing degrading and decaying of my body, That is not a point of absolute, ultimate stress. It is not an ultimate crisis. Now, let me just really try to get this clear. That does not mean that I am kind of inoculated against the emotional pain of what it means to decay. It does not mean that. It does not mean that I have this kind of stoical solidity, which means that that I am impervious to any kind of human reality. It means this, that in amongst all of those mixed emotions and those feelings of pain and those feelings of physical and emotional suffering, there is a deeper, solid foundation which reminds me of this, it will not always be like this. I have a hope. Why do I have a hope? Why do I have a hope? Because Jesus has been raised from the dead and lives now in an ascended body. He's done it already. He's living now so that you and I can say, the same goes for me. The same goes for me. If I trust in Him, if I see Him as my hope, if I believe in Him as my hope, the reality of my decay, as painful as it is, is not going to sweep me away and it's ultimately it is not going to win. When I close my eyes in death, death has not won. That's the message that the ascended Jesus brings. It is that stark. It is that absolute. When finally it gets me. It's not one. Because Jesus rose from the dead. And lives now in a body which is incorruptible. And that's for you and me. Now, just so that we don't think that somehow God is saying to us, here's the facts, here's the facts, just get on with it, just live it out. There is a beautiful reminder of what we saw right at the very beginning when we saw the ascended Jesus. Jesus said this, listen, it is good for me to leave you. That must have been hard for the first disciples to hear. It's good for me to leave you. No, it's not. No, it can't possibly be good for you to leave me. It is good for you to, for me to leave you. I'll tell you why. Because if I leave you, then the next real deep experience of the triune God can be yours. And that's the Holy Spirit. Individually. Every single one who believes and trusts in Jesus has that ongoing presence of the Holy Spirit dwelling with them and within them. Dwelling around them and within them. As a body of God's people here gathered today, we declare that we meet in the presence of Jesus through His Holy Spirit. Now that cannot be claimed unless Jesus had gone to heaven. Every church across the world could not claim that. I don't know how, how many other churches are meeting in the world right at this moment in time, but every one of them has got the right to declare we meet in the presence of Jesus. Jesus is here with us in his, the presence of His Holy Spirit right now. That, that would not be physically possible for the resurrected Jesus yet it is truly possible for the ascended Jesus that's one thing but look at how it gets absolutely down for you and me real personal look at how it goes on how paul goes on to say verse 26 just so you don't think we've got stoical kind of response it says this in the same way So here's how that works out. Maybe you can relate to some of this. If you can't relate to it now, one day you will relate to it. I am utterly broken. I haven't got the words to say to God right now, I don't know how to respond. What I am facing in my personal experience is beyond my ability to cope with. But I am not alone. I am not alone. The Holy Spirit groans within me with words that satisfy my Father in heaven because Jesus searches my heart as my prophet in heaven Revealing to the Father what's going on in my heart. And I'll tell you this, if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit dwelling in my heart, if Jesus searched my heart at points of crisis, He would find stuff that is not good. But because the Holy Spirit dwells within my heart, when He searches my heart at times of crisis, He finds great groans. He finds great responses because the Holy Spirit responds precisely in accordance with God's will for my life. Oh man, that is the greatest hope, isn't it? It's not as though God is saying, you know what you've got to do is you've just got to be some kind of Christian superhero who dresses up with this front that says everything's great and everything's fine. Bring it on. Throw it at me. I've got my Christian armor that can hold everything back. We're human beings responding in the reality of our human experience, but we will never be crushed. We will never be lost because deep down, below all of our human response is this spiritual response of the indwelling of Jesus by His Spirit, holding us in a way which assures us that He will hear our voice. I'm doing a whole load of work at the moment in terms of how we in our various expressions of what it is to be broken humanity are able to have hope in God. Right across the piece every human experience can have hope in God. No matter how damaged, no matter how challenged, no matter what the difficulties that we face, there is hope in Jesus because of the resurrected Jesus and the ascended Jesus and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. In other words, our broken world makes us think Broken me. I need hope. But you know we have a tendency, don't we, to look outside and say, they're the broken ones and I'm okay. You know, as time goes on, I think our human experience relates more and more to the reality that we are all broken. That's our reality. I'm going I'm to limp, crawl, flake out in the final steps to get to heaven but I will be carried there when we feel as though everything is against our opportunity to get across that line the promise is this the Holy Spirit will never leave us but listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 12 it says this therefore of the throne of God. That comes after a huge list. Of all of those who have gone before. All of the heroes of the faith. Who have already run the race. And it reminds me of this. You know when we are on that race. And we feel as though we can't make it. Around the final lap. It is as though the writer of Hebrews is wanting to encourage us and remind us, do you know what? We're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses who've already run the race, who are standing alongside us and from heaven are cheering us on. They are cheering us on. They are declaring before God, you'll keep him, won't you? You'll keep her, won't you? You will not let her go, will you? Because you've already achieved it in Jesus, your son. Does the ascension have anything to say to suffering? Absolutely. Because Jesus did not disappear from it. He immersed himself in it. He threw himself into it. Became a part of it. And then triumphed. I want to just ask you as we close. When the chips are down. Where is your hope? Because the hope that I have. Is not in me. It's in Jesus. Because he's done it. I hope yours is too.